shower, you're not normal. Buenos dias and hello. <laughs> South Beach Nico, right here in Land Lakes, Florida. We are on the road recording the For the Ladies podcast. Today is November 15th, and that is a special day in my family because it is my parents' anniversary. So 29 years ago today, they were just two young kids in love, planning out a future of traveling and fun and and then within the year, they had me, so figured I'd come and join them for the weekend, and we're going to hang out, have a good time. So that's what we're going to do today. We have my dad, Dr. John Cowan, on the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to go hang out with our alpaca today, actually. That's the plan. We're going to go see Lady Gaga. So I don't think we've gotten into that story, but that's, that's one for a future podcast. You'll just have to keep tuning in. Buckle up, this is going to be fun. The doctor is in, people. Dr. Cowan, how are you, sir? I'm very good. How are you? I'm <laughs> fantastic. Happy anniversary. Well, that's a, that's a long time to be married. 29 years. And yes. you guys are together constantly because mom runs your office. You're the chiropractor. So you guys are together 24-7. Then you go home and you guys go to the gym in the morning. So... I know! Why do you keep reminding me of this? Jeez, no pizzas. Trying to bring you to Florida to, to get away, and it's I raining can't. and she 60 follows degrees. me wherever I go, wherever I go. She's always there. I so, get up in the morning, she's there. I go to bed at night, she's there. Every time. Anyway, did and, you want me to talk like no, that? I mean, no, I mean, you guys okay, ask me why okay. I'm 28 I mean, and I'm not married yet. So. Yes, yeah, so, okay. Well, well, mom asked me. You don't really ask me that much. Yeah, when, when she was 28, she'd been married to me for four years already. Yeah. Can you imagine that? And she had two kids. Uh, I hear about this all the time when I talk to mom on the phone. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. And this is the but she didn't want to be on the show, so it's just you and I. She can't defend herself because she doesn't have a microphone. That's right. <laughs> I love it right now. I'm in control. This is my anniversary gift to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to badge your mom for the next few minutes here and <laughs> see what we can do with her. We, we might have her on this thing. She just may grab this microphone she right might. off of my neck and start talking. If we us. stop hearing from you, we know what happens. Yes, you're right. So before these last 29 years, and you and mom dated for three years before you were married? Yes, we did. So before that whole time period, you were just a young buck out and about. 1947, you were born. Right. Allen Park, Michigan? Allen Park, Michigan. And to clarify that, I am still a young buck. Mm. I, I just quit having birthdays at 29, and I stayed 29. Now, everybody else in this family thinks it's really cool to have birthdays, <laughs> so they have one every year. Do you yeah. know how old you would get if you had a birthday every year? I mean, I've got to stop next year, because I'm turning 29 in August. There you go. That's so, when it's time to quit. We just got to stop right there. Yes. The party's over once you pass 29. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, you're supposed to be older, and you're supposed to be responsible, and you can't go out and do all the fun things you did when you were in your 20s. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you start having babies, and... and and you got to pay for them, and you got to pay for colleges, and you got to pay for cars, and you got to pay for insurance. And I mean, it, it's never ending. <laughs> if you just stay at 29, all you got to do is take care of yourself. Yeah. Yes, it's perfect. And that's, that's what I'm shooting for right now. Yes, I'm, me too. <laughs> See, you didn't think you taught me anything. <laughs> well, there you have it. So you've overheard the story. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. I've yes. been taking notes. Good, good. <laughs> all right. You should have a book by now. Uh, this is the start of it. Okay. I'm just recording my stories right now. Very good. 
Very so, good. 1947, Allen Park, Michigan. Well, actually, I was born in Albany, New York. Oh, yeah, that's right. And on December 27th of 1947. And uh, my initials are JC. And uh, there was another famous guy that was born a couple days before me. Yeah. And his, he had the same initials. And um, anyway, so we... Uh, you say his name a lot. I do. I do. Lots. <laughs> And especially with your mom around <laughs> um, But anyway. <laughs> I just want to hear your, okay. your times growing up as the Fonz. Because everybody that has seen Happy Days, they modeled that character up for you. Well, I, I was very cool. There's no doubt about yeah. it. I mean, probably when you watch Happy Days, people that know me probably say, that's really John Cowan. Yeah. And, um, and it is. Mm-hmm. I was that cool. Yeah, you just didn't get the credit that you deserve for it. And for a time, you had a TV show. I did. Back That was back in the 80s? 90s. It was in the 90s because I was on it. Oh, as a right. nine-month-old. Right. Yes, you were the baby that was on it. On cable TV. <laughs> yes. Difference of opinion on cable TV. It was a great show because, as you can see, just in listening to the conversation between my wife and I, we have a difference of opinion all the time. So what yeah. other show could I come up with better <laughs> Than a difference of opinion. <laughs> and this is the one where you're giving out $50 to people who had the best point against you? Was that correct? Well, that was the TV show. I had a radio show, too. That's right. And the radio show, that was the one. It was on a, on a station called WPON, and, which was a Pontiac, Michigan station. And you wanted to make sure that people were actually listening. So you bribed them. So I bribed them, yes. <laughs> and so the best question of the day or whatever got the 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that kept people calling all the time. And they wanted to question us all the time about our topic and things like that. And we had a great time. And this is why you give me $50 to call you now? Every time I call, I just get a Venmo from you, $50. You do. That's right. Yeah. And then, again... It keeps me calling. You said this show today was going to be the biggest one you've ever had because... We're giving $100 today, right? Yes, we're giving $100 of Cowan Chiropractic. Yeah, all they've got to do is call <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, let us know that they're listening. Yeah. Just if you're smart, you won't give them the phone number. That's um, I haven't so far. <laughs> I see. <laughs> but, you know, if they start dialing now, eventually they'll get through the number. Well, that's the problem. This isn't live. This is just out there forever. So oh. we're going to get a call in 15 years for somebody looking for some cash. Well, it might be me calling it. <laughs> so, you know, your mom keeps me broke most of the time. So it's good. So I might need that money. <laughs> so, anyway. But, so growing up, you're the Fonz. You were also the shortest kid in school, but you always got in fights. I was the skinniest kid. Skinniest kid. Much, yes. Yeah, I wasn't, I was, I was always this. See, I was six foot tall. You know, some people are six foot one, six foot two, six foot three. I'm six foot minus three. Mm. So that's how I managed to get to my height and such like that. Right. Yes. I was one of the coolest kids in school, no doubt about it, because I was such a big guy. Mm-hmm. Would you go around picking fights or other people just happen to get in your way? Probably my biggest concern was the day that I, that I uh, was trying to meet a girl. Mm-hmm. And she was going up, the, let's say I was going up the stairs and she was going down the stairs. And I thought if I slipped my foot over real quick, mm-hmm. that I would trip her, but I would catch her. And that way I could introduce myself. And then from that time on, I'd know her name, she'd know my name, and I could fire up a relationship. Mm-hmm. 
only problem is when I stuck my foot out, this the biggest, meanest son of a gun in school, his name was Bill Connick. Mean guy. He would just, just if he looked at you, you just fainted because you knew you were <laughs> going to die. Well, anyway, my foot somehow missed her completely, and I tripped him, mm. and he fell all the way down the stairs. <laughs> and when he got to the You didn't try to catch him, or you just... No. no. <laughs> I was trying to pretend I wasn't even there. <laughs> But when he got to the bottom of the stairs, he knew what happened, and he looked at me, at me and pointed with his finger. He said, behind the drugstore, after school. <laughs> and you knew immediately what that meant, because the drugstore is behind the drugstore in the alley was where all the fights were settled back in school. Mm-hmm. And so if you didn't show up, I would have been a wimp forever. I would have never had, you know, I would have been seen as a, as a weakling. Mm-hmm. So I showed up, and thank goodness Bill Connick did not show up. That's good. It was probably because he was quite fearful of me, but then <laughs> either that or when I think back, it might have been that I was such a shrimp that he would have taken a lot of heat for beating the little guy up, <laughs> and so he probably just decided he wouldn't show up. Was there a crowd, like, ready to go? Oh, or? There was, whenever there was a fight that Bill Connick was in, whoever it was, they knew they were going to have a great show, Yeah. and uh, yes, everybody in school showed up. And they all circled, and so there, and I'm just there, and he's not. Oh, I was so lucky. But anyway, <laughs> it worked out good. So another story that's a famous John Cowan tale, also involves trying to court a young lady, was how you got into skydiving. Her name was Gail Kaneko, and um, she was she was my age, and we were both about twenty one at the time, and um, beautiful little girl beautiful little girl. Um, I was sales manager of a car dealership mm-hmm. and she was sales manager of a car dealership right across the street from me, a little Toyota dealership. Toyotas were just coming out there. And um, so anyway, she belonged to the same ski club that I did. And this ski club didn't have anything to do during the summer. So they quit having meetings and stuff like that. And it was, wasn't a fun club. Mm. Well, the new president came up with an idea. Why don't we go skydiving? And he came around one night and he said, look, he said, if I can get 14 of you guys together and we all go sign up for a skydiving class. And in my mind's eye, I couldn't see where there would be 14 other, 13 other people with the guts to say, yeah, I'll go skydiving. Mm-hmm. So that was the other reason I said, sure, count me in, you know, because I was always the, the bragger, the big guy, right. and stuff like that. But I never for a moment thought that we'd come up with the other people. <clears throat> anyway, he came back to me about five minutes later and he says, we're all set. We got 14. <laughs> Oh, God. So anyway, back in those days, we um, were jumping static lines out of a little four-seater airplane. So there was a pilot and a jump master. That was the one that told you when they let go of the plane. And two jumpers. And each a jumper would get off every pass of the field. So there would be two passes of the field, then they'd come down and get two more guys. Probably one of the scariest moments of my life. But little Gail Kaneko was part of that group mm-hmm. that went. And so... I made my first jump. I thought, okay, I live to tell the story. Gail thinks I'm really cool because I did it too. The next morning, my telephone rang, and it was Gail. (laughs) And she said, I'm going back to the field today and making another jump. Do you want to come with me? This was the universe opening up to me because I'd been trying to get a date with this girl for a long time. Yeah. She kept turning me down. You got to jump at that opportunity. I, yes. Jump. (laughs) I, I said... (laughs) 
Okay, you know, <laughs> I'll go. Count me in. More nervous for the Bill Connick fight or the No, the Bill Connick fight, jump. it was simple. Thank goodness he didn't show up. But <laughs> so you were this more... was really bad because now I had already jumped out of the airplane the day before. Mm-hmm. And I knew what it was like to just fall through the air until the parachute came out after the Santa Claim pulled out. Yeah. And just falling for three seconds was pretty doggone scary. And then being 2,800 feet up in the air, mm-hmm. that was the distance we <clears throat> used to do the static lines at, that was even scarier because everything looks like it's in miniature. Yeah. And then to go out there and do it again, oh, I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> but I know what I was thinking. I was not thinking with my brain. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, make long story short, the two of us went up and they put the girls out first. So she's out there on the wing, she's mm-hmm. out there on the wheel, Left foot's on the wheel, right foot's in the air, and you hang onto a strut. It's a little piece that goes up to the wing from the body of the airplane. And you're hanging there until the jump master says go. And then you just let go and arch your back and away you fall. And now you're going. Yes. So she went first. So that meant I had to go. <laughs> but I already knew what I was getting into. And again, that was the scariest jump ever because it wasn't imagination anymore. I couldn't just yeah. imagine what was going to happen. I knew what was going to happen. Anyway, then she went back the next week. And our crowd of 14 by that point had dwindled to three. Yeah. So there was... Just everybody that was chasing. Yeah, she and I and a guy by the name of Ray. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if Ray was chasing or not, but he had to have some sort of reason why he went back. So I'm thinking maybe that was it too. But anyway, we kept jumping for almost two years after that. I ended up with 13 jumps total. Hmm. And we would go out every week or two and during the summertime and just make a jump and as I said did that for two summers and my last jump jump number 13 number 13 lucky 13 right mm-hmm. um, or I'm up in the airplane I'm the last guy to make the jump I was the, the second let, guy to let go and we were gonna practice a two-man hookup so the jump master he stayed back and so when I got out on the wing and hanging onto the strut the plan was that he was going to come through the door and as he went through the door I was to turn towards him and grab his hand and then let go of the strut and he would I would grab his other hand and we he would push away from the plane and we would just fall and so he was teaching me how to do this free fall at that point mm-hmm. and <clears throat> through the air that way and no longer hooked to a static line and uh, because I would do some Hop and pops, they would call them, where you'd let go of the airplane, but you pull a cord right away. Right. I hadn't done any long free fall for. Do you have to go up higher for this seconds. one? Yes, that, that that one was up to 35 feet, but that gave us 10 seconds to free fall before you had to pull a chute. Yeah. So, anyway, we went out and we're falling through the air, and we made our little hookup as he came through the door because he's holding on to my hand, showing me how to stabilize as you're falling through the air with two people. And I'm looking at my little stopwatch on my reserve chute and you have to pull at 2800 feet because that way if something goes wrong you got time to get the reserve chute up right much past that you're getting pretty close and uh you you don't want to be close you don't want to make a mistake well anyway i looked at him and he looked at me and even though this was a veteran of over 2,000 jumps he and i had not decided who was going to pull first (laughs) because when you're falling next to each other like that hands held and then let go, you don't separate very far. Right. If I pulled and he pulled at the same time, our chutes were going to go up, they were going to tangle, and we were both going to die. Yeah. And we were too close to the ground to cut away the chutes because we had waited, we'd fallen too long as it was to get the reserve chute out. Anyway, we were going to be in big trouble. 
So the only thing I could think of doing was kick, pushing him away as hard as I could, just kicking away with my hands on his on the shoulders there. Yeah. Well, anyway, I let go. I pushed him, and he pushed away. As soon as he pushed away, I, he pulled, and I pulled. Mm-hmm. The only trouble is when I pushed him, I didn't realize I'd started to make myself spin sideways. Just a little movement in the air like that yeah. makes you do Very crazy things. things. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so I started spinning. Well, now I've got absolutely no time to stop my spinning. Yeah. So I pulled the chute anyway, and when the chute came out, it popped open, but because I'm spinning so hard at the bottom, the lines over my head just go all the way to the top and closed off the parachute. Now I look up, I don't have a parachute anymore, I have a balloon up there. It's closed off at the bottom. And the ground is getting closer and closer and closer, and the emergency procedure for that, which we were all trained in, is you reach up and you grab the lines on both sides with both ends, Mm. and you pull apart as hard as you can. And all of a sudden you start spinning. And then as soon as you stop spinning, that means you're untied or untangled, and the chute goes pop and it opens up. Well, that chute went pop, and I went swing, swing, and hit the ground. (laughs) And that, again, was my 13th jump. So for a second, I thought, holy mackerel, that was really close. Well, then when I see everybody at the field coming running across the field, because they didn't think that that chute opened before my feet hit the ground. Yeah. And so I was going to be dead. So they're all come running up to the field, and I'm, full, I'm pulling up together in my chute. And everybody just thought that was amazing that I was still alive. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so that was that chute. There was a lot of interesting things when we were skydiving, but that one, that one was the biggest one. The one that was the most painful was when we jumped after a, after a thunderstorm, because you can't jump during a thunderstorm or anything. Of course, right. we didn't jump during rain. But we jumped after this thunderstorm, and when we bailed out, I, the, the, the jump was going great. I pulled the chute, and the wind had kicked up a little bit from when we were on the ground. And so all of a sudden, now I'm drifting. So I'm, I drift right off the field. Well, what's next to the field is a cut-down field of corn cobs, or corn, because it was the fall of the year, and also all these little corn things were sticking up out of the ground. <laughs> corn stalks. Corn stalks, yes. And I've got no place to go. And back then you did what was called a parachute landing fall. You didn't end up on your feet. Yeah. You came down on your feet, but you went into this roll. And so you sort of rolled. Well, rolling on corn stalks is not something you really want to do because they're pretty doggone hard. And uh, so anyway, you're trying to protect your face and your body and stuff like that. I spent all that time thinking about what I was going to do that I forgot all about the, the fall or the landing of the fall. And so when I landed, I fell down and tried to go into my roll, but my tail end landed right on a corn stalk that was sitting out of the ground, which was quite painful. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so that was that jump. We moved into Clarkson House. What was it a good three or four days before I was born? It was. There was something already living there that you confronted like a matador would confront a bull, correct? Well, I walked into the house at that point all by myself, and on the fireplace, the brick around the fireplace, going up towards the ceiling, there was a bat. Hmm. Now, knowing, being a city boy, that bats, as soon as they bite you, they inject you with something and you just fall over dead and die, <laughs> um, I screamed and ran into the bathroom and locked the door. <laughs> just so I wouldn't be gotten by the bat. And where was your pregnant wife? (laughs) 
Well, she was at home someplace, I think. She, no, you were on your way over, weren't you? Yes, you weren't there quite yet. And I think your mom was with you. And so when they knocked on the door, I went running to the door, and I'm <laughs> running outside. I said, there's a bat in there. There's a bat. There's a bat. And they just walked right in. Because <laughs> mom is not from the city. Right. And so <laughs> I, I'm there standing by the door, and all of a sudden, they take a, a, a broom or something and knock this bat down, and he comes aiming right towards the door where I'm standing. <laughs> so I go screaming. I guess maybe, yeah. So anyway, I go screaming out the door. Well, again, everybody thought I was a complete idiot. If you only did that a couple of years later, I'd have all these baseball bats you could have used. I probably could have. Yeah. <laughs> there would probably have been holes in the wall like there was in Drew. Um, <laughs> Sometimes they just slip out of your hand. Yeah, yeah, I, know. I know, yeah. Well, so, that was a funny story. I guess we can tell it now. Yes. Got yes. nothing. We're making money off of this, so I can just compensate you. Good. Right? So this was another fun bat story, but and a baseball bat. And this was 2013 or 14. And I'm living in your condo down here in Lando Lakes, Florida. I've got the coffee table moved out of the living room area. I'm watching a movie and just swinging a baseball bat around. You know, I didn't have any batting gloves on. And it was kind of like a toast. I had the heat on because it was a little chilly out. Bat slips out of my hands. And I'm thinking it's going right for the glass door in front of me. Amazingly doesn't. Goes right above the paintings above the couch. Hits right there, knocks a little hole. Now it's heading for the china cabinet. And I'm thinking, this is really not good. <laughs> it goes, I, I'm in slow motion mode right now. It goes on top of the china cabinet. Boom, boom, doesn't hit anything glass. So I'm like, well, that was rather incredible. Then there's these two plants that are on the next wall where it could have hit. Put a gash in the wall there in between the plants. And then it was heading towards the glass uh, tabletop when you first walk in went under that and put a little gash in the bottom of the wall but it was the most incredible thing and i called lonnie fox and i was like hey man we've got a little problem here we need to fix this wall before next week when mom and dad get here and you as detail oriented as you are you didn't notice until we told you about a year later so it was probably a good thing It was probably a good I told mom, mom and I were out, and she, when I told her the story the first time, she thought it was funny, but I said, don't tell dad. We'll find out a better time to tell. Yes, I may be a little obsessive compulsive. <laughs> but it was the most incredible thing. It didn't hit anything. Yes, and I, I'm very glad. <laughs> so, anyway. But you let me live at the condo for seven, maybe eight years. And uh, do you remember the phone call when I moved to Florida? Because I was living with some people, family friend of ours, and they were having some things that I didn't want to be around. So I called you and asked. And you asked the famous line, <laughs> the world famous line, do you mind if I stay at the condo for a few days until I find a place to live? Yeah. Eight years later, <laughs> I had to say, have you found a place to live yet? <laughs> and I'm moved out now. Yes, you are. That's very good. That's very good. <laughs> and you're right downtown St. Pete now, too. So It's really, really nice. Yes. A lot of fun downtown St. Pete. And I've got a great studio apartment that doubles as the recording studio for this. So That's great. It's, it's a, <laughs> overlook the city. Everything. Yeah. It's beautiful. Beautiful. And I'm right next to work. So, this again, back backtracking to November 15th and 16th of 1990. You guys were married. I'm conceived the day after. You did not have this plan. I don't think that was your selling point with mom. It wasn't let's sell down, have kids. You guys had a whole different plan, correct? Well, 
I did. Yeah. I did. I thought I would marry your mother and we would travel. And because um, I'd already been married for 20 years. So I right. had this whole thing down pat. And you guys are 18 years apart. Yes. Mom's 18 years older yep. than you. And so <laughs> with mom, she I just thought, well, you know, this would be a good deal because we can just go traveling. Mm-hmm. And so for mom, it was sort of crazy because she thought I was pretty exciting because I would do all these wild and crazy things. Yeah. And, uh, but for me, it was just another normal day. Right. Because that was the way we were. That's how we rolled. So anyway. Well, I think that's another, like, you attract the people that are going to be conducive to that type of friendship or relationship, whatever it may be. And um, your very good friend, Marcus, one of my better friends, in the last episode, we were talking about the time you guys had your big hug at Gasparilla and how you guys have been just getting along great ever since. But Marcus and I have that same level of weird energy and where we can just do random things. And, you know, there's some stuff like we'll just do off the wall things. And for us, it's just a Tuesday night, whereas other people are like that's a story we've got to tell for years and years and years. But for him and I, it's normal to hang out and do fun stuff like that. He came over one time and he said, I brought bathing suit, I brought casual wear, and I brought a tuxedo because I never know what we're going to end up doing. <laughs> there you go. And so I think that's kind of the thing you guys have passed down between you and Nana and Bev and her side of the family. And that's always been kind of fun. Well, it's because I was a Boy Scout. The motto was be prepared. Yeah. So I was prepared for whatever anything <laughs> Whatever, whatever it was going to be, I was ready for it. Well, there was a big turning point in your childhood, well, teenage years, I'm supposing. Was it Maureen Ritter? Oh, the love of my life. <laughs> what happened there? Next to mom. That's how I learned to become successful. This girl had more influence on my success than anybody else I'd ever been with. She was from a wealthy family. And I had some money saved up. The spending experience that she was looking for in life, about seven weeks after we started dating, I was flat broke. Mm. So I went over to pick her up one night. It was a memorial weekend. It was Friday night. We were supposed to go out for the weekend. And her mom says, I'm sorry, she's not here. I said, she's not here? We have a weekend date. My car's back. We're supposed to be doing something. Yeah. She said, well, I'm sorry, she's not here. And... Uh, so what it was, she knew my money was gone, and she wasn't going to have any fun just hanging out. So I realized that if if I was going to attract a gal like that, I better have a lot of money. So I immediately started looking into things that would make me money. And car sales was where you Cars, started? I was Yes. I got into the car business, got a friend of mine. He always seemed to have a lot of money in his pocket. I didn't realize it was just a wad of deposits <laughs> that he had on cars all the time. I thought it was his money. And... Uh, but anyway, I got into the car business, started selling Lincoln Mercury's first, and then I went to a Dodge dealership, and then ended up becoming the sales manager of the car dealership. But How old were you at this time? Well, right around 21. Wow. Yeah. So I'm skydiving, I'm running the car dealership, I got all these 50-year-old salesmen working for me. It was sort of fun. <laughs> so but you anyway, were living the high life. All, all because all, of Maureen all Ritter. because of Maureen Ritter. And when I had my 50th birthday, a couple of days ago, Yeah. Yeah. Um, your mother tried to track her down and invited her to the surprise party that she threw for me just so she would know the influence she had had on my life because I went out and made something. I, I can't imagine she wasn't around and I was hanging around the people I was hanging around with then, but my life, and we wouldn't be sitting in this beautiful condo down in Florida. Yeah. Wouldn't be anywhere near this. So anyway, she's she mom caused wasn't, a lot of things to happen. Mom wasn't able to track her down? 
Couldn't find her, no. And this was, you said your 50th birthday party? 50th birthday So party. not to date anything, but there was no Facebook or no. <laughs> Google. No. Because this no. might have been more than a, a two decades ago? Well, all we knew was where she used to live on Grosito. Mm. And I didn't, you know, I didn't or wasn't able to find an address or a phone number anymore or anything like that. And I never really even knew if her parents were still alive because this was 30 years later at that point. Right. And uh, so... Because you never talked to her since that weekend that she blew you off. I talked to her one more time. Okay. I managed to get myself blown off again. <laughs> and uh, we were at a, we were at, I belonged to a ski club called the Ski Angels. And um, we were out at a summer party kind of thing. And uh, she was there. And she was there with the president of another ski club called the Fagawis. His name was Bruce Speedy. And um, so anyway, I saw her there. And we were chatting and talking about, you know, would could I take you out again? And she just said, no, <laughs> this is over, you know, we're not doing this. Yeah. And of course I was upset, devastated a little bit. And, and, uh, as it turned out, I saw her many more times after that, because wherever the ski angels went, the Fagawis were there because yeah. we were all part of the, uh, Detroit area ski club association. And so we ran into each other a lot. Hmm. Worst time was two times, two times this happened when the groups put the rooms together because by that point I was dating another wife. And uh, so they put her and Bruce Speedy in the room next to me. Oh, wow. And we had a one of those doors that opened up to the next room back yeah. and forth. And they opened the door, and I didn't realize it, and I opened up mine. <laughs> and there she was, sitting on the end of the bed there, getting dressed. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> so, <laughs> Go get another room. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. So anyway, that was that. And... Um, we chatted a little bit after that, but anyway, as I said, she she let me know early on that this was just conversation. Yeah, maybe it's our best, relationship was over. Maybe it's best you guys don't reconnect now. <laughs> probably not, no, because she probably would seem pretty old at this point. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But so you're wheeling and dealing car dealership. Yes. And you go to sell a minivan to this family by the name of the Ribleys. Yes. <laughs> How did that end up going? Okay, well, it was a full size van. And he was a chiropractor, and he had a, a nice big practice. And one of the things that he did for his senior citizens who had no way to get there um, to his office, he had a little bus that he would go pick them up in. Well, we came out that year with this extended bus, and um, it was a Dodge van, but it was not a minivan. This was a big, long one, and it sat, I think, 15 people. And so he, he came in to buy one of those. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I talked to him, and he was telling me about what he did. Actually, his wife was telling me about what she did. And um, I was supposed to take the car over to show him, because it was his wife that was there. And I was supposed to take the car over to show him, and I didn't go that weekend like I was supposed to on a Saturday. And I called him up on Monday and said that I was sick, and, but I'll bring it over today. Well, tell the chiropractor that you're sick, that's the wrong thing to do, because maybe <laughs> they want to get a hold of your neck and adjust you. Right. And um, so I showed up over there. Anyway, he never bought the van, but I sat in his waiting room for probably 30 minutes waiting to get to see him, and when he walked into the waiting room, the place is just packed, and so I'm talking to these different patients, and, and everybody's just tickled to death with this guy. I'm thinking it's going to be some knight in shining armor that shows up. Yeah. Anyway, through the door walks this guy with a Mickey Mouse t-shirt on and a pair of short shorts, <laughs> and I'm thinking, holy mackerel, this is the doctor? And <laughs> nobody cared. 
he was just so vibrant and stuff. Nobody cared what he was wearing. He just did such a great job with the patients. Yeah. Well, anyway, he started working my head a little bit, and his wife did. And next thing I knew, I was signing up for chiropractic college. Hmm. And uh, got accepted, and I still needed some college, because you have to have a bachelor's degree now. Then it was just an associate's degree to start the chiropractic program, and I didn't have either. So I had to go for my associate's degree. And so I was very lucky, because I found out that at the time, you could... There was no law that said you had to have your associate's degree first hmm. and then go to chiropractic college. So I just decided I would do both of them at the same time. So I was at that time, I was going to school from 10 minutes to 8 in the morning until 10.30 at night. Wow. I would go to the chiropractic college from the 10 to 8 till 2.30, and then I had a half an hour to drive over to the other college and get ready and uh, sit in classes there from 3 o'clock until 10.30. And I did that five days a week. And then on Saturdays, I had a class that met once a week. And that class went from 8 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Jeez. And so in the middle of all that, I was going to school and chiropractic college, too. And the, the regular associate's degree or whatever. And I got all this homework. And I'm living out of a van because I had this, it was a, actually it was a tr pickup truck. I ended up finding a real cheap um camper to go on the back and I mm. used that as my mobile classroom when I was at school <laughs> so anytime I was you know had a moment's break in between classes I would run out there and I would do homework hmm. and um, anyway it was something it was a pretty pretty busy schedule but it all worked out and I lived to tell the story yep and uh, it's made my life pretty cool and you settled down at your office in Clarkston but you were in Waterford right first I started yes I started off in Waterford in the year of 1976 January 5th, 1976. I got my 44th anniversary coming up another month and a half wow. in practice. And the cool thing is I'm only 29 years old, as I said earlier. <laughs> yeah. So that's really neat. But, uh, yes, that was an exciting time. Opened up a practice like that. and We bought this home on the lake. And it was a big sort of rambling home. And like a ranch style. And I went to the township to see if we could get it zoned for a home and an office combination because I didn't have enough money to do both. Mm -hmm. In fact, I didn't have any money at all, but my stepdad was helping me out a little bit at the time. And uh, so we made it work. And we got the township to rezone it. And so I was able to have my home in part of it and my office in the other part of it. Hmm. So when I got up and went to work in the morning, all I had to do was walk through a door in the kitchen. Yeah. And I was in the adjusting room. Pretty cool. There out there was a waiting room and another adjusting room and an x-ray room and Sure, it was great. Well, you've always had the passion for chiropractic and helping people, and that hasn't died out at all, because every time you're down here on vacation, you settle into vacation mode, you guys come down a little bit high-strung. Mm -hmm. Understandable, because you're on the go still. Um, after a couple of days, you mellow out, but by the end of the vacation, you're like, all right, cool, I'm ready to get back and go, go adjust some people. Yes. And that's always been pretty cool, and I think that resonates into the office and the atmosphere people get when they walk in there, but... There is a big redecorating issue that I have with your current office in Clarkston. It's been, my little mural has been replaced. I don't have my pictures on the wall like I used to. There's something else where they used to be. I'm used to walking in, seeing pictures of myself. Because at home, you took me out of there too. It's just Nathan in the bedroom that he and I used to share. Well, he's my favorite. Yeah. And so mom's too. You talked her into that. <laughs> So it looks like you guys just have a one child. <laughs> well, it's, all right, we were able to move you down here and uh, get you out of the picture. See? And then Nathan, he stayed up there. He was smarter. Yeah. yeah. You say, oh, yeah, my one son, he works, does all this stuff. But where is he? I don't see him anywhere. 
Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> we bring them on once a year. You know. <laughs> but no, that's all right. That's right. Hmm? My flag? The American flag? Yeah. Oh, is it? Is that right? Oh, yeah, you've got the wooden American flag decoration where oh, my... Oh, that's what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah, yes. that, right where you put that, I saw it on Facebook. That's where your picture was. Where my cousin Rachel, who makes the wooden American flags, her new business. Okay. I used to have pictures right there. At one time, there, your picture was on the other wall of the hallway. And those pictures stayed there for a long time, too. Yeah. I mean, I've got to come up. I'm coming up in a couple of weeks, and I'll, I'll re-inspect I'll let everything. you come, yeah, come back and re-inspect. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, make sure it's to your... You know, yeah, working. and if you need me to do autograph signing or anything to promote the, the business or anything, let me know. Sure, just bring a lot of checks and you can sign all of them <laughs> you want to. I did find my checkbook the other day. Good, all right. I had to pay rent. Well, perfect. They make you do that in St. Pete. Can you imagine? You got to pay rent. <laughs> Gosh. Well, I sort of like it because I haven't had to pay any rent. Clearly, <laughs> so that's good. I saw a uh, meme on Instagram yesterday, and it's somebody asking somebody to come and hang out, and they say... It literally cost me $33 a day to be in my apartment. Why would I leave here? I'm just throwing away money at that point. And I did the math. Mine's $32 a day. Yeah. 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 So that $100 we're going to give away at the end of the show will have to come out of your money. Oh, no. I don't have any money. <laughs> You're grown up, so I've spent all the cash I have. Yeah. So is there any end in sight for the legend of chiropractor John Cowan? Retirement-wise. Not... Yeah. Well... There's one thing about having a wife that's 18 years younger than you are. Because I'm 71, I would spend at a level of being 71, which means at 4 o'clock you go have a cocktail with the neighbors, then you go home and go to bed. Yeah, you get to bed early. Yes. But when your wife is 18 years younger, she's raring to go till 10, 11 o'clock every night, and she <laughs> wants to go all these places and do all this traveling and stuff like that. Whereas the other people down here that are my age, they have trouble getting around just from here to the restaurant at the other end of the park. Yeah. So it's different this one still wants to go places and do things and travel a lot so i kept thinking that when i get to be 70 or so i'd have all this money because i would not be buying anything or spending anything all i would do is go to have my four o'clock cocktail and that would be good yeah but no i decided i'll probably be close to 90 before i hit that point oh perfect yes you had a, a chiropractor friend who worked till in his 90s right into uh, yeah well no, I had a patient that lived to be 106, mm. which was pretty cool. But he was pretty active. But I have a chiropractor that I go to, and just me, and he's 83 years old right now. Hmm. And he still water skis, and he plays tennis, and I mean, he probably weighs 150 pounds, and he's in great shape, and retiring isn't even on his, in his, in his, in his, in his mind. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a pretty inspi inspiring guy. And for me, my inspiration comes that i got to keep supporting mom, so I keep working. Yeah, exactly. So that's it. So everybody has a reason. <laughs> well, there was one time Rachel and I came up in the summertime back when we were dating, or not dating, whatever it was, and we were having lunch at the Sportsman, and you were talking about how your friends were retiring, and you are like, well, they may be retiring right now and have all this money and all that stuff, but I guarantee I had a hell of, hell of a lot more fun than they did. So that's always kind of stuck with me since you said that. I do. I do. That seems to be the basis of everything that we've ever done, which is cool. That's always the key. you got to have fun. Some people may call it dysfunctional, but we don't like those people. No, <laughs> we don't. Because they're, 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 they're hammered down in life. You yeah. Know, they, their life is pretty much you know, in one spot. Yeah. Whereas ours is still traveling all over the place. That's sort of neat. Yeah, wheeling and dealing. We have, um, before I get you out of here, because you've got to buy us lunch... 
Um, <laughs> well, we can talk till three if you want. Okay. okay. <laughs> Cheap rent. We got pretzels over there. Oh, okay. Um, okay. For mom's birthday, I didn't know what to get her. And so I came across this great idea to adopt an alpaca. So I'm looking forward to seeing her again. Well, because last time we went, the first time we met her, you didn't want to waste the morning going to some farm because you wanted to go to the pool. And then we right. couldn't drag you out of there because you'd become the king of the alpaca. I, am, I always have a soft spot for animals. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so that was, one, that was one of my first big dogs, I call it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Big, it's big like dog. a big dog to me. <laughs> and you, have to little, you had the little dog for a long time, Flash. Yes. And take him everywhere. Um, actually, yeah, tell me about the time you snuck him into a hotel. Put him in a suitcase. Because <laughs> he's just a little West Highland Terrier, so he was tiny. You could put him in mom's purse, probably. Yes, yeah, so he had a little fold-up bag. And <laughs> put him in the fold-up bag and walked right past everybody and up into the room. A lot of people didn't like Flash, I've come to learn, but I always thought he was great. Oh, well, the only reason they didn't like him, I mean, he was a nice dog, but he liked to bite little kids. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't like kids either. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I thought, but he's not eating them, so why they shouldn't be too bad, you know, <laughs> shouldn't be too upset. But um, And he wouldn't bite him too bad they'd bleed a little bit every once yeah i've got time. a little scar on yeah, my thumb not much you know but just a little bit of blood that's a good thing to do that toughens you up toughens you up but uh <laughs> anyway that uh that dog yes everybody was a little upset with him and then they put him in dog on doggy jail for eight days once <laughs> when he bit one of somebody else uh, but they one did, of the neighborhood kids i don't yeah, remember well, yeah i think yeah i think it was uncle dan's oh, daughter's yeah. kid or something like that and and uh so he went down and filed a, a complaint against Good old Flash. Yeah. With the police department. So they were going to take the dog away unless we put him under house arrest. <laughs> and so we had him under house arrest for the eight days or ten days or whatever it was. And I think the real reason for that is they wanted to make sure he didn't have rabies. And I don't think we had given him the rabies shot. or They weren't current at the time. Right. And uh, so anyway. But he did turn out he didn't have rabies. <laughs> Actually, there's one more story I need you to tell okay. that just came into my head. So Flash would go everywhere with us. Yes. And we pretty much grew up, Nathan and I did, going on a sailboat all the time yeah. in Caseville. Um, so Flash was a sailing dog, and he'd go out on the boat. There was one time that you crashed the boat, and this is actually my very first memory of being alive, mm-hmm. but I'll let you share it if you'd like to. Well, we were coming off of this island out in the middle of Saginaw Bay, and you kids had been playing the week before with a battery switch down in the cabin. And that battery switch had been been on all week long. And so little to me did I know that the battery was just about drained. And so we get about uh, maybe four or five miles off of shore, and all of a sudden all my gauges just start blinking, which means that the battery's dead almost. And then, then they just go out. Well, it's almost dark. And um, we need lights to get that boat out to this island because there's a little marina out there. And we're going to need to get into the island. And we, we, we certainly needed electricity for things on there, but we didn't have any of that stuff. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, the next morning, we had to uh, take the boat and we were going to sail it back to the mainland because we did spend the night on the island. We were going to sail it back to the mainland, get everything charged back up again, and head back out. Well, anyway, coming out, I cut the corner too close because there was a, I would have known had my batteries been working, that according to the depth sounder, that I was not over this one reef yet. Anyway, I thought I was okay, but the problem we had was the waves were real big that day. They were about five foot waves. And 
I made a turn towards the mainland thinking that, okay, I'm okay. I'm far enough away from the island now to make this turn. And all of a sudden, I go up on top of a wave and come down and it's crash. And that was the keel of the boat smashing into the rock pile that I had just crossed over. Mm -hmm. And the rock pile, once it starts smashing the bottom of the boat, you're just sort of trapped there in between these rocks. And so it just kept beating it and beating it and beating it. So I had to do a mayday. And so there happened to be a guy on the other side of the island in a power boat and a cabin cruiser. So he cruised it over and got as close to us as he could so that I could get all you kids off. And Carrie was there. And Carrie was there Cousin. and your mom and me and so on. And, and Flash, you get the dog out into the other boat. Mm. And uh, anyway, as we got you kids off first, and I, Carrie's out there. She was one of the last to go. And so I threw her the dog so she could swim it over. Mm. And anyway, the dog fell short of her, and he was scared to death in these big waves. So he turned around and started paddling back to the sailboat. Right. At the same moment, we had, Mom had just cut the lines because we had to get that sail down. That was one of the things that was pounding us so hard because the wind was blowing us into the ground there, or into the water. And so just as that sail came down, the dog was just trying to get to the boat and he got stuck underneath <laughs> the sail. Jeez. And so Carrie was already in the water. Well, her life jacket was on wrong, right? She, well, she had a life jacket on and it was wrong. And um, <laughs> so I told her to go underneath the sail and grab the dog because otherwise he's going to drown at the end of him. And so she got underneath it and when she came out, she had the dog, but the, now the light jacket is over the top of her head, and all she's got is her hand sticking out, and she can't see a thing because she's inside of this light jacket now. Anyway, we, we put the deal together, and we saved her, and we got the dog, and everything turned out to But be then you lost mom. Well, yes. I got, I got my, the other thing is I got on this other boat then because we had to you know, hook a line up to the boat, and we were going to tow it off this, this rock pile. And uh, I look back in the boat, and mom's not there. And it's like, okay, I'm yelling to her, and she's not answering. And the boat just keeps crashing on these rocks. And I thought, oh, my God, she's falling over. She's drowned. And anyway, all of a sudden, she came out of the cabin. And she was on, the, on her phone trying to get a hold of the insurance company to make sure that they had received her payment <laughs> because she knew this was going to be a real expensive <laughs> deal here and we want to make sure our insurance was in force. Yeah. And thank goodness it was. Mom's always been good about stuff like that. Yeah. Thinking about the little things. Other than the time we crashed into a deer on the side of the road and Mom woke up from the nap and started dialing 991. 991. Yes, it was. <laughs> well, fortunately, no, no rescue vehicles came out or anything like that <laughs> because they weren't contacted at 911. But it was because of, anyway, because of the 991. But we had some times, and yeah, that was my first like actual memory. So it was kind of a traumatic entrance to the world in my eyes. Probably not as traumatic as it was to the deer. Well, not the deer one, the sailboat one. Oh, the sailboat one. Yeah. Okay, yes. That, yeah. Well, that was traumatic to all of us. That was something there, because I thought we were going to lose the boat. And I was trying to figure, okay, if we're going to have to sacrifice somebody, who is it going to be? You know? <laughs> and uh, so I'm thinking, well, okay, is it Nathan or Nick? Well... Nick, sorry. No one. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you still got Nathan's pictures over the office. <laughs> but we've had some good times. We've got a lot more to come. Yes, and uh, we're going to spend today doing anniversary things. <laughs> it's raining in Florida. When it's raining yes. in Florida, there's not much to do. When it's so. raining in Florida, that means I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It was great weather last week. Yes. And it's been great weather right up. It's been perfect. Yes. I'm going to be here for a couple of days, and it's going to rain for a couple of days. So it's all perfect. <laughs> so as soon as you get back out of town, I can go back to going to the pool and yeah, getting yeah. suntan. Yes. That'll be good. But I appreciate you swinging by. 
my old apartment here. Yes. And uh, happy anniversary again. Thank you very much. I appreciate much. you taking the time. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you doing this for the ladies. Yeah, well, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. And mom's probably tickled to death that I'm sitting here next to her, too. You know? Yes. She says, how can I get so lucky? Mom hasn't stopped rolling her eyes. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, let's go have some lunch. Okay. Hey, what's going on? It's Nico talking about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's a creation tool right there that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it. I did it. Super easy. Super awesome. Yeah, do it. (laughs) So that was a good time. Um, One thing about my dad is he likes to tell the same stories over and over again, so I knew which ones to pick. But uh, I appreciate it. I had a great time. We have a lot more stories that we can get into at some point, and we will. And everybody's going to keep loving it. We're going to try and get my mother's side of the story when I go back to Michigan for Thanksgiving. So we'll see how that goes. We're going to go do their anniversary things. See the alpaca tomorrow. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again soon.